Hi, I'm Casper Rood and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to a milestone 100th episode of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. If this is your first time listening or you've started listening recently or you're listening since the start, I thank you. Your support and listens means so much to Functional Tennis. So thank you very much. It's been a challenge at times getting guests every week with players and coaches traveling, poor hotel Wi-Fi, match scheduling, and more. But it's been absolutely amazing. The opportunity to speak to people in the tennis world and learn from them has helped me understand their journey better. And I hope it's helped you in even a small bit and you've enjoyed many episodes. We started episode one with the world junior number one at the time, Holger Rune, who is now making his transition to the men's tour. Today, we speak to a former world junior number one, 22-year-old Norwegian top 20 tour player, Casper Ruud. Casper is a rising star in the world of tennis. And today we find out more about him, his recent great form, his junior days, training with Rafa, his love of golf and more. Before we get started, super thanks to our podcast sponsors, Slinger, further support and for giving us a Slinger bag to give away to celebrate our 100th episode. Stay tuned until the end to find out the winner. Finally, if you're new to the Functional Tennis Podcast, head over to functionaltennis.com to check out our small range of products from the famous wooden spoon, our match journals and practice journals, our off-court and on-court hats and the camera mount. And to celebrate this episode, we have 10% off all products when you use the code CASPER, C-A-S-P-E-R, at checkout. Okay, I'm super excited. Let's talk to Casper. Hi, Casper. Welcome to episode 100 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. Superstar on the show for this episode. So thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I know you were off last week, but the past few weeks, uh, the great run you had, the great tennis you're playing. How are you feeling now? Well, it feels good, obviously. I had a very good month. April and May, both months were very good for me and my uh, tennis and the results, of course, I I started the clay season this year in Marbella with the 250 event where I lost to a young Spanish up-and-comer, Alcaraz. He played very, very well and um, uh, literally, you know, just played me off the court. And, uh, you know, I went to Monte Carlo thinking like, okay, now I've got going with the clay and I've got my ass beaten pretty bad. So it's it's time to step up a bit and hopefully do well here in Monte Carlo. And I played another young young guy in, in the first round of Monte Carlo, the Danish guy, Holger Rune. I think they are the same age so i guess those two have been you know quite the the kind of two ones to look up to a bit in that generation and um luckily i played a good match and was able to beat him and then you know that gave me some confidence and beating schwartzman also the the match after gave me a lot of even more confidence and i knew that you know um i can i can play well and do some damage on the clay and uh i just you know was very focused on every match i played and luckily i was able to win more than i lost i did semi-final in monte carlo and semi-final in munich and also madrid so i did three semi-finals in a row in on the clay and um and now I'm in Geneva and looking forward to the last ATP events before the French Open starts. Fine tune, fine tune the game a little bit. But just throw back to Marbella. Somebody did say to me that they saw you in Marbella play and you just came back from, you were training with Rafa 
at the Nadal Academy. Yeah, no, I, I played Acapulco, actually, and then I was injured in Acapulco. I got a small twist and quite uh, strong pain in my wrist in Acapulco. So the plan was originally to play Miami after and then start to play. But then I had to withdraw from, you know, both or I had to pull out from my match. I was going to play Sverev in the quarterfinal in Acapulco. And then I had to pull out from the tournament and withdraw and pull out from Miami as well. And I went straight to Mallorca to rebuild the wrist and take some days off because that's what I needed. It's not always too easy to treat your wrist because it's any small bones, ligaments, tendons, everything. So I had to just rest up a bit. But at the same time, I was working well on the fitness on my legs and running quite a lot and doing a lot of movements on the court to get used to the clay. And, you know, going into Marbella, I hadn't been playing clay court since, well, October last year. So it wasn't too long ago. But usually I go to South America in the February or in the beginning of the season, which I didn't do this year. So I was a bit um, not worried, but I was a bit... Um, Excited to see how it was, how it was going to be. And then I actually started very well in Marbella. I beat uh, Gianluca Magur in the first round. I played a very good match. And, you know, then I um, came and like I said earlier, I, I, I lost pretty badly to Alcaraz. But in Mallorca, yeah, I was training with uh, Rafa for a couple of days, not every single day because, you know, we both like to do other things as well, but uh, with our own coaches and work on specific things. But uh, we had some good sessions and. You know, I, I guess uh, that's kind of the best preparation you can have for a clay court uh, season to practice with him in Mallorca. Yeah, I definitely agree. And are you more tired coming out of sessions with him rather than other people? Like, is the intensity just that much better? Concentration's that much higher? Tell us, what is it like spending? I know a lot of people spend an hour, they do small sessions with Rafa, but a few days with him, what's it feel like it, it's tough but i i think i'm not gonna say i surprised myself that i was able to recover well but uh i was a bit worried you know after the second third day that um you know it's tough to to recover and get ready for a new day with the same intensity and the same pace so i was happy with the way my body was feeling and also the wrist because you know he, he hits a very heavy ball so you have to be ready you know basically with everything in your in your body so i was happy with the progress and i felt good enough to go to play in marbella with with my wrist so um you know i was lucky that the wrist uh, and happy that the wrist recovered well and maybe quicker than everyone in my team thought but you know training with him is something special and especially on, on clay courts it's just brutal because he <laughs> he rips the ball very hard and I would say even even harder and with more pace than in his matches because his matches he plays very heavy also of course you know probably the one who plays the heavier of anyone on the tour but practice he goes actually even harder so it's uh, tough practice is always with Rafa and do you remember the first time you practiced with him yes I do four years ago now I in back in 2017 I had played um, Davis Cup for Norway in March or March April and um we finished on Saturday, the match. We lost, unfortunately. I, I think it was against Denmark. So we lost Scandinavian Derby in, in the Davis Cup. And then I jumped on the plane. Or I think we finished on Sunday, actually. And we jumped. I jumped on the plane from Oslo to Barcelona. Slept in Barcelona that night. And flew Barcelona, Mallorca the morning after. And I went straight to the court to practice with him. So it wasn't the best... Uh, Preparation. Yeah, preparation to, to, to play with him and especially for the first time. But I think I was just so excited to be able to practice with him. And I was there for that whole week and we, we went, uh, we practiced every day, but it was tough. Yeah. And, uh, I still remember. And before we move on from Rafa now, but one, just one thing, what's the biggest takeaway you can give us from training with Rafa? 
I think I said it a little bit already with the, with the pace he puts on the ball, but, uh, you know, his focus is, is extreme. Doesn't want to fool around too much. And, um, I think it's something he's been used to doing for 15, 20 years already because he's been strict and Tony, uh, his uncle who coached him for most of his life is very strict. He's, uh, he doesn't like, uh, like I said, fooling around. And when you're on the court, you're there to do a job and you, you have to play with high intensity. So that's something also Tony has helped me a little bit with in, in the academy. Now Tony coaches, uh, Felix more on, on a part-time coaching job there so Tony doesn't talk to you <laughs> coach me too much anymore because you know Phil Felix and I are opponents yeah. but uh but he still helps and comes to the court now that I was there after Madrid you know he comes and we say hi of course and we all have a good relationship but um but I think just the, yeah the focusness and the willingness to become better because after everything that he has won he still wants to improve and is uh, as humble as if he never won anything so that's something that impressed me the more that's pretty impressive. Let's take it back a few years. You're only a young guy, so we don't have to go back too far. But from when you were a young kid, when did tennis start for you? And what was it like to have a dad who was a top 40 in the world? And plus, Norway is a bit like we're in Ireland here where you wouldn't have had many great players over the years. So I'd say your dad must have been the best player Norway ever had so what was it like growing up as a young kid well it was uh, like uh, like you said or I, I, I was lucky because my father played and in our backyard we had a, like a small mini tennis court kind of like the, the ones you see on TV now that is big or on social media that is becoming you know quite big like touch tennis or what they call it these small courts and um, that was perfect for me as a kid to just get a feel of the ball and my father was quite young when I was born he was 26 or 27 i can't remember so he wanted to you know yeah be an active father and you know play around with me so we did other things as well not only tennis but tennis was obviously natural as we had the court in the backyard and you know i even from when i could walk he would put a head racket in my hand just for fun and then but I, like i said i did also soccer and i played um quite a bit of golf and also ice hockey in the winter so I, that those were the kind of the force that i did until i was about 11 or 12 and then the passion was always bigger for tennis you know even from when I was seven, eight years old and started watching Nadal and Federer on TV, I, I, you know, I kind of thought to myself that I want to, I also want to be on TV one day and play on the biggest courts and the biggest matches on in the world. So I think it already started back then. So when I was 12, I think I, I chose all the other sports away and or I put them to side and to only focus on my tennis. And, um, you know, I think that was the right choice. And uh, it was, you know, a choice by myself. But of course, my father being a player from before, it also helped me to make this uh, decision. And I knew that I could get very good help from him. So um, I think that's where it started. And it's been, you know, tennis uh, going on ever since. And, um, you know, sometimes I, um, like I said, I, I enjoy golf very much. And Sometimes I, I tend to regret that I didn't choose golf because you don't have to run as much in golf as you do in tennis, certain training days. So uh, all in all, of course, I'm very happy with the, with the choice I made back then. I think golf has its own challenges, but you have an Instagram account just for your golf. What handicap are you? Yeah, no, golf is uh, it's so small margins and uh, the ball is even smaller than tennis and the clubs are way smaller than what we play with. So the margins are incredibly small, but uh, I, I enjoy golf very much. I tend to watch everything that goes on TV. And for now, my handicap is uh, one point 
eight, I believe, to be exact. So um, I played a lot last summer and kind of was the first year since I was young that I was able to play a lot. And um, because usually, we know, we travel around and you don't get to play as much as you would like if you're interested. And uh, we don't really travel with our own golf clubs to the tennis tournaments because we're there to play tennis. But uh, every time I go to any Wells, I bring the clubs because that's like golf paradise and... Uh, they have courses anywhere you go. So that's one trip of the year where you bring the clubs. And uh, it's a shame that they, uh, well, postponed it this year. And last year wasn't any tournament at all. So hopefully I can come back to New Wales and enjoy some golf. <laughs> and jumping it, Rafa's a scratch golfer. Have you two had played on the golf course? Yes, we have. And uh, and I can tell you that, that he beats me there as well for now. And uh He's a very good golfer as well. Very serious, almost more serious <laughs> on the golf course than on the tennis court sometimes. So it's uh, challenging to play or against him or with him. You say whatever you want, but we 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 played against each other when we played golf. We you want to we want to beat each other even though we play together. So it's always that's always that's also a good uh, fun challenge. But he plays very well and plays the you know some tournaments here and there, and he can yeah he can really hit the ball in, on the golf course as well. <laughs> so look for you after tennis whenever that finish up you'd be able to give the golf tour a go you probably will i don't think my um well i'm not married yet but because i'm young but i think uh, then my future wife will be angry if i tend to jump straight to a new <laughs> career of traveling true yeah. uh right after a tennis career that's uh it's demanding enough with these years coming <laughs> that's a good point you may just have to move somewhere with loads of golf courses <laughs> Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. So just getting, getting back to your junior career quickly. So were you in school? Did you graduate? How did you manage playing tennis? Well, when I was... Like I said, 12, that's kind of when we finish primary school in Norway. So we have like first to seventh grade. And then you have eighth to 10th grade, which is something we call like youth school, because then you're like a youth or I mean, straight translation is to youth school. But I guess that's kind of between primary and high school for Americans or international students or yeah the international school system. And then in Norway, they have had a very good offer where they had like an athletic school for these three grades where the teachers were also our fitness coaches and fitness trainers. So every day we would do one and a half hour fitness in school time and they would also teach us things in class. So I enjoyed those three years. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you, you don't necessarily need to start doing too much specific fitness things only for tennis i think it's smart to build your body you know to get a to get a good all-around physique and that's something you know that just that school helped me with we went out uh, on bike rides we went climbing in trees we went uh, running we went playing soccer or we would do many different things and i think that was something i really enjoyed and other athletes were there as well who were dreaming big and wanted to become good in their sports so that was a very good environment and something that helped me a lot and then uh after those three years we start we started high school three years and uh i did two out of those three years the plan was to finish everything and graduate but when i was um starting my last year the, the 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 last uh, year of high school i i won a challenger in spain so that made me go from 500 to 250 in the rankings so then everything kind of became even more serious for me and 
was even tougher. I would travel more. I would play more challenger events. And I felt that school could wait, but the tennis couldn't really. So I wasn't able to graduate from high school, but um, but it was close. So if I need to, I will have to do it in a later a later time. Brilliant. And how old were you when you stopped playing junior tournaments? Competing was always in my blood and uh, I could already feel when I was young and in primary school, if we would have like gymnastics in class and we would play uh, what's called dodge dodgeball mm. or something with a class, I would, you know, go nuts to try to win. And my other classmates would be pretty angry and upset with me because I had such a... Not the killer instinct, but I always wanted to win, and I would rub it in the face of uh, if we if we won, and I would rub it in the face of the losing team. I wasn't doing it too bad, but uh, I had sometimes some classmates coming up to me, you know, saying that, that that I'm I was living too much into it. But I was always, you know, wanting to win, and I had that uh, mentality to try to win. So um, even also when I was playing when I was seven, eight, nine years old, it was always important for me to try to win because I kind of had it in my blood and. When I was, I think I started, I played one or two Tennis Europe under 12 tournaments just to, you know, get a feel of what other kids were like. But then it's tough because I wasn't too big, but then you can play someone that is, you know, 20 centimeters taller than you and you just serve you off the court. And then, you know, we decided to go more for it for the under 14 circuit in the Tennis Europe. So my last year of under 14s, I played a lot because, you know, it was a good environment. I think many, many kids uh, traveled around those years and... I really wanted to compete against each other and you had the European Championships in the summertime, which was kind of the biggest tournament in the year for the Europeans at least. And and also some of the tournaments like Le Petit, I remember, where the Americans came and the Koreans and everyone kind of met to play there. How did you do? I think I lost first or second, so I didn't do too well. And then you had some one, also one big tournament in Paris. I can't remember the name, but like a grade A or grade one. I, I can't remember exactly what the grades and everything were. It's been some years, but yeah. And and then by the, that year, I was able to reach top ten in the tennis Europe ranking, which was you know a big achievement for me. And after that, I took a year completely off from traveling and tournaments to just build you know my physique and my my game. And because um, I'd been traveling twenty twenty five weeks that year and playing tournaments. So I took me and my father, you know, sat down and said that it, he thought it would be good for me to sit down and grow a little bit, both uh, physically and playing wise and to kind of build my game. Because I think those years are very important when you're, let's say, 12, 13 till you're 18, 19. Those are the years where you build your style, you build your game, your, your physique. So we saw some of the kids that were traveling a lot under 14s. They went straight to the ITF junior events where it's under 18s. And, you know, some of them did well and was able to get some points and everything. But we didn't stress with that. So we, we took a whole year out from tournaments, basically, and trained a lot and good hours, putting many hours on court and a little bit in the gym as well. And then the year after, I started with ITF junior tournaments. So I kind of traveled a lot for one year. And then I took, like I said, a week off or not a week, but a year off traveling to to really build my uh, my style and i think that was a good um, recipe it must have worked because you became the world number one junior yeah i did yeah so that was uh, also a big achievement for me and i was unfortunately unfortunately never able to do too well in the slams but um i won some grade ones and a grade a in japan and uh, was able to get to the number one spot so that was uh, a nice achievement and you know gave me motivation to continue and to try to take it, you know, to the ATP step and the, the men's circuit. What would you prefer, senior Roland Garros slam or a junior one? 
<laughs> the slams were big in the juniors, you know, that, that was kind of what all the juniors talked about and very understandable. Everyone wanted to try to win the slam. That's kind of the biggest, the biggest we have in the men's circuit as well, obviously. And for the juniors, I think it's uh, even more, not going to say even more pressure because in the men's, it's, you know, the ultimate thing to win. But, but I, I didn't stress too much about never winning a junior slam, but yeah, yeah, the, the number one ranking was, Fun. You just had it on paper that you were number one, and it and it will always be there that I was number one in the juniors. So that was a, a nice achievement. Yes. No, no it, it's unbelievable. But your breakthrough you've made has been pretty quick. Like your top twenty. I, I know the rankings are a bit different this week, but for you, what was the secret? I know you've been what, playing pro tournaments for about seven years now. But what for you has been key that you've been able to make that breakthrough? Other junior Grand Slam winners could be still at five six hundred in the world now. But for you, where? do you see has been your advantage to be able to break through? I think that if you look at the way I play or my game, it's uh, I've tried to play heavy ball. I try to play with good intensity and I've always been that player who is more on this, you know, the hardworking side than maybe the flashy big shot kind of player. And, um, you know, I'm happy with, with uh, that, that way of playing. And I think, you know, honestly, just putting in, you know, hard work, like I said, when we, that one year when I was home, that was, you know, a tough year for me because I didn't get to play too many tournaments and I was working very hard every week. So I think I'm kind of more that player than the, the one, like I said, who does the drop shots and the tweeners. And the, the flashy players. So, and I'm happy with with the, that. You will always face, you know, tough moments on on the way up and some doubts. But I think the biggest, you know, change or thing that I've improved now, and I think one of the biggest bigger reasons that I have been able to do well the last year, especially with with this, you know, the jump in the rankings, is that you know I believe more in myself and I believe more that I belong in this, this spots and. To, to fight for the biggest titles is something that you kind of dream of when you're young, but it's tough to believe that it's actually going to happen until, you know, you get some good results. And, you know, it's um, something that takes time to build up. But I think now I have, um, yeah, good confidence and I have a good belief in myself that I can that I can be here for many years, hopefully, and also even higher. And, and yeah, have that uh, confidence is key on a tennis court because if you don't have confidence on the court, there's many things that can go wrong. But if you're there with your chin up and have confidence, it also shows the opponent that, you know, this guy is, uh, this guy is here to play. And I think that's something that, uh, is, uh, not too much talked about, but for me has been very important. Yeah. No, the whole part where you say you believe, you know, you should be here. I think it's really interesting because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people struggle to believe they can be there. Yeah. Uh, last question, your dad, have you played him in a match recently? Oh, not recently, but I'm gonna go back to them that year where we was where we stayed home. We had a we had a small let's say competition where um, he was then he was only forty oof, I think forty three or forty two forty three years old. So he was uh, still in quite good shape. He doesn't play as much anymore. He's almost fifty now, so that's uh, that's understandable. But uh, we had this bet that we would play one set every week or one match every week either saturday or sunday usually and um i think we had some small bet in it that's like if i lost 6-0 or 6-1 i would have to give him like five euros or something and then if it was 6-2 it would be neutral and 
per game. Like I would get more than six two. I think I would get like one euro per game. <laughs> so we had like a quite good and small bet that would, you know, he would motivate me to 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 try to do well and try to beat him. And he would also have motivation to beat me, you know, and and beat me off the court and uh, keep keep in shape. But then after couple of matches I was able to actually beat him and then I think that surprised him and surprised me as well but he didn't play well so I, I kind of felt like I got it a bit too easy it was 6-3 6-3 or something like this and he played a very bad match so it didn't really feel like I earned it that much but uh since then we didn't play too much since I was yeah 15 we played some uh, points starting from you know under with with feeding and playing some points to 10 or 21 and these things and he can he could still play and challenge me well until I was 18, 19, 20. But now it's, now he has no chance to be honest. And that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not me being, uh, you know, uh, I know, I know. arrogant, but uh, he's, he didn't play too much um, lately. And he, and now he's, he's unfortunately has no chance. <laughs> I'm sure you remember the first time though, when the current changed yeah, and you were the boss then. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good feeling. Yeah. Any kid, the first time they beat their coach, like maybe you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you beat your coach. It's a big, it's a big momentous occasion. But no, Casper, thanks a lot for your time here. Really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to it. You're only a young guy, as I mentioned, to following your journey over the next weeks, years ahead. And I wish you all the best of luck in Roland Garros. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for the podcast and the talk. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Casper. I certainly did. He's super nice and we're definitely going to see so much more of him in the future. So really exciting. Now onto the Slinger Bag winner. First of all, thank you very much for all those who entered. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the tags and shares. The lucky winner who was chosen randomly is Aram Kosherein. He's a tennis coach based in Germany. We'll include a link to his Insta profile on the podcast page on our website and we'll also send them a message to arrange delivery so congrats Aram and can't wait for you to get the slinger bag it's a cool piece of tech and finally a final mention to our new listeners to check out our site at functionaltennis.com to check out our small range of products from the famous wooden spoon our match and practice journals our on and off court hats and the camera mount and as I mentioned previously to celebrate with 10% off all products when you use the code CASPER I'll be back next week to kick off our next 100 episodes. Thank you all and goodbye.